This is Doug Hastings, Vice President of Moody Radio, and we're thankful for support from our listeners and businesses like United Faith Mortgage. Mortgage commercials are rarely exciting. So to make it slightly more interesting, here are my nieces to do it for me. So interest rates continue to drop like my sister's baby teeth. Come on, Uncle Ryan had to say the same thing last year. That's true. Last year, it was rates are boring talk historically low. And now this year, there's somehow even more boring talk historically lower than the previous boring talk historically low. Sounds boring. But for so many listeners who just haven't wanted to deal with it, refinancing right now could save you massive amounts of Lego sets. Rates have gotten that low. Some borrowers could potentially save hundreds monthly and tens and tens of thousands over the life of a loan. And if you didn't put 20% down before, some could even stop having to pay PMI. Give Uncle Ryan a shot. We are United Faith Mortgage. United Faith Mortgage is a DBA of United Mortgage Corp. 25 Melville Park Road, Melville, New York. Licensed Mortgage Banker. For all licensing information, go to nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Corporate NMLS number 1330. Equal housing lender. Not licensed in Alaska, Hawaii, Georgia, Massachusetts, North Dakota, South Dakota, and Utah. You're listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast. This week, we bring you a five-part series of messages Ron Blue presented at Moody Week 1988 on vision, trust, and dependence on God. Ronald Blue was coordinator of the Spanish Doctor of Ministry program and adjunct professor in world missions and intercultural studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Now, here is Ron Blue on Today in the Word radio. Take your Bibles and let's turn to Psalm 46, please. Psalm 46. Okay, I always like to speak to the author before looking at his word. Let's bow in prayer. Lord, we do pause again tonight for the delight it is to worship you, to honor you, to glorify you. You're so good to us. Lord, I thank you for this immediate access we have into your presence. We just stand amazed that we can come before you at any moment. And you hear us, you love us, you care for us. You don't consume us. Lord, we're grateful for the Lord Jesus Christ that makes it possible. And now, God, we would ask that you would work in our midst. We acknowledge once more our human limitations. We pray for spiritual work to be accomplished and that you would be magnified in it. In Christ's precious name, amen. The Christian life is not difficult. It's impossible, apart from the empowering work of the Lord. I'd like to take a little quiz here tonight. How many of you would say you have arrived, there's not another thing you hope to learn from the Lord, everything's set, you're there, you're ready to go, nothing more, you are the saint of all saints, I'd like to have you stand. And if someone stands, they're going to ask you, how do you do this anyway? No, we don't have any of those. Okay, let's try another question. How many of you here tonight feel that you have not achieved anything in your Christian life? You're just a great big zero. There's absolutely no hope for you as a Christian. None whatsoever. Would you stand? Not a one. And that's what I expected. All of us are somewhere in the middle. We're progressing. We're we're attempting to become more Christ-like. And I can feel it in this conference. We're all in that battle of life, struggling to achieve what God would will 
what he would desire in us and through us. And that's good. But how can you do that? How can you do that? What's the answer to keep progressing in that life, in our practical experience? Well, this psalm tells us. It tells us. How is your trust? And that's why I said, Anita, you couldn't have picked it better. The trust, the faith that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I saw it happen this morning. I was so thrilled when Ian started talking about the importance of the faith and how our faith achieves his purpose. And then, of course, at the uh, 11 o'clock hour, the battle we're in in this life. It's not easy, easy, friends. We are living in the last days. But how can we do it? It's right here. It's right here. Psalm 46. How is your trust? God's protection. We've looked at Psalm 2. God's perception. How's your vision? Now, how's your trust? God's protection. Let's take a look at this. The answer's found in the first word. In my New American Standard, it starts this way. God. God. There's the answer. In one word, that is the answer. He is the answer. How can you do it? Well, let's see what God is like. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. And all God's people said... No, no, that's not what you say. <laughs> read your Bibles. <laughs> it's right in here. You know, that's a word we often question. Do we read this when we're reading the scripture? I think we should. And that's why I would suggest. Selah comes from the word salam, the, Greek, the Hebrew verb salam, meaning to lift up. Now, of course, there's some struggle on what exactly does that mean. Uh, we know it means to lift up. But why is it in here? And that's why it's not really translated. This is just straight Hebrew. Sila, to lift up. Some musicians, and if you'll notice the title of this psalm, this is for the choir director. A psalm, a song for the sons of Korah, which of course were the sons of Levi, who were assigned to be the choir. Korah, choir. <laughs> Set to the Alamoth. And of course that literally means maidens. This is probably soprano voices, soprano alto. This is a ladies' choir, ready to sing a song. Sila. For the musicians might mean a crescendo. It's time to crescendo. Let's build this music. Or it might be a pause. Some think that it's a, it's a bird's eye for all of you musicians. It's a hold. Let's hold it right here at the end. Or it might be a pause so that we can stop and meditate and worship and honor the Lord. Or, and here's my conclusion, all of the above. It's a time to crescendo, to hold that note and to think about what we have just read to worship the Lord. And all God's people said, Selah. Oh, boy, you really speak Hebrew well, I tell you. That's great. Now let's, let's meditate then on it. Selah. Let's do it. You will find in these first three verses, the first stanza, that God is our strength. We need to rely on him. And uh, you'll notice he, he is explained here in a very careful way why we can rely on him. Why is he our strength? Well, first of all, he's our refuge. He's our refuge. And this is a, a psalm that sort of inspires the hymn, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark, never failing. The problem, though, when we think of the word refuge, at least I think of it, I think that's a hiding place. I'm going to get away from the cares of this world. I'll sneak into him and then forget it all. That's not exactly the idea. 
I think one of the greatest tragedies of the church was the whole idea of the monastery concept. Hustle off to a cave. You know, the ascetics eat lettuce leaves in a big cave. Get out there in a little place and sort of remove yourself from the world to meditate. Now, the meditation is good. But to remove yourself from the world is not really what it's all about. God is not interested in that. Read your Bibles. What did Christ say in his high priestly prayer? I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one. He wants us in this world. I think churches today, all of us probably are tending to, to fall into the pattern of sort of a catacomb complex, something of the monastery mentality. As someone has said, the pastor is no longer fisher of men. He's the aquarium keeper. Get everybody in neat little rows. Look at the backs of people's necks. Fill in the pews. And I often find pastors so concerned because the, all the seats aren't filled. And I keep thinking, man, if we want to fill the seats, why don't we just rent mannequins? Make it look good. Get them all in there. Really make it look great. And of course, in so many churches, we start at 11 o'clock sharp. Into 12 o'clock dull. Same old routine. Just go through the motions. I mean, this is bad. No, no, no. Should be alive. We come to church. We come to this conference. We come to Moody Week so that we can penetrate that world again. The only light the world has is right here. This is it. We are his witnesses. God has told us so. And this is it. I'd like to pause for a second. Have you ever thought what you'd do if you were God and you were going to reach the world? Have you ever done that? I have thought about that. If I were God, I'm going to reach the world. I'm not so sure I'd choose all of you. You're a nice-looking group, but I'm not sure I'd choose this outfit. One thing I know for sure, I'd never choose me. I know myself too well. No, wait. I heard that amen. <laughs> You don't have to be so excited about this thing. <laughs> now, I've thought about it. If I were God, you know what I'd do? I'd get all the stars lined up in heaven every night. Jesus saves. Wouldn't that be good? There it is, blinking on. <laughs> you say, well, not everyone can read. Well, then I get the wind blowing in every language of the world. Wouldn't that be good? Jesus salva. Jesus saves. Wouldn't that be great? Or get some of those angels we read about in Isaiah. No, with six wings, no less. Here they come. Wouldn't that be exciting? Or I'd shout from heaven. I'd say, here I am. God, listen to me. He could do that. In his grace, he's let us in on this thing. But friends, we can't do it if we don't find our refuge in him. He wants us to be in him so that he can work in us and through us. How do I know that? Read on. He's our refuge. That's great. But he's also a reinforcement. He is our strength. That's why we need to be in him. So that he can be in us. He's the one that has the power. We don't have it. We have to face reality. I just prayed it, and I commonly pray that way, and it's not just to fill time. I, I sense it. We cannot do spiritual work. Let's face facts. Only 
God can do spiritual work. So we must find refuge in him so he can work in and through us. He is our strength. But there's more than that. He's our very present help. And I like the way that's put, a very present help. Not just pie in the sky talk here. He's talking about the nasty now and now, not just the glorious by and by. <laughs> the sweet by and by, no, this is the nasty now. He is a very present help in trouble. And I tell you, I think that's one of the benefits of going to the mission field. I thank God for what he did in me to say nothing of what he did through us on the mission field. It's sort of good to get pushed out there into vulnerable territory. In our home, we plan things well ahead. We usually plan about three years in advance, and we did this purposely. We determined that June, July, and August, a few years ago, that we would spend all of that time overseas. We didn't know where at the time, but we laid it out, said, Lord, open the door for us. We want to get back to the mission field. We've been at Dallas long enough, been in the hothouse. We wanted to get back to the field. And God graciously opened the door. We had two opportunities, but the very clear one that God indicated for us was to go back to El Salvador for June, July, and August. And it was in the height of the problems of El Salvador. It's still bad. Now, we needed help. In fact, Christians are wonderful to encourage you in an opportunity like that, of course. They come up to you and say, you're going to take your wife and kids where? <laughs> Don't you read the newspapers? Don't you know what's going on down there? I began to think, yeah, what am I doing taking my wife and kids down there? And the Lord has a way of sort of testing you on this thing, too. See, the kids were still in school, so I had to go down in advance, and two seminary students went with me. But in the first week we were down there, it happened. A naval intelligence officer assigned to the United States Embassy in San Salvador was shot. I talked to students who saw it happen. Students of the church where I was interim pastor that summer. And don't think a small church, please. 500 in every service, three morning services, 1,500 believers. And in every service, people coming to know Christ. Oh, you never get that news, do you? God is at work down there. Well, these students from our church who are on the campus saw this happen. The naval intelligence officer was sitting in his Bronco. The air conditioning had gone out, so he had the windows wide open. That's all he needed. A van pulled up, well-dressed young man, stepped out with a pistol in his hand, walked over to that Bronco, fired three shots in Schaffelberger's head. His body slumped over the wheel. The Bronco was running. It smashed into the car in front of him. The young man said, everybody be calm. Reached in, turned off the ignition, got back in his van, and drove off. I don't want to scare you my dear brethren, but we live in perilous times. You don't have to wait for the Third World War. We're in it. It's the war for the hearts and minds of men. And I was glad that Libby and I had figured this all out ahead of time, or I'd have probably called and said, don't come. But we had it all figured out. We'd thought about it. We prayed about it. And I'll tell you, here's the answer right here. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's our ever-present help. We thought about this, prayed about it, and finally he said, no, wait a minute. If God wants us dead, we're going to be dead. I don't care where we are. If he wants us alive, they can't touch us. Now, that's, that's not super spirituality. That is, again, fact. 
So there was no fear. In fact, it was sort of fun when Libby got down there. My dear little wifey, I wish you were here. I wish you could meet boy, the neatest gal in the world. I see you as tops. I'm missing her. Let me tell you, all you lovebirds running around here, it really makes me have a hard time. But my dear little wifey, we had this thing so cleared up that uh, she used to joke about it. I'd walk out the door and she said, Mi blanco es un buen blanco. Blanco, as you may know, means white, but it also means target. She says, my little white one is a very good target. Now, oh, man, a lot of encouragement I get there. <laughs> but we had no fear. Read this. Read the next verse. Therefore, verse 2, therefore, we will not fear. Fear does not come from God. Read your Bibles. God does not give us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power. And I like the sound mind <laughs> to keep it all in control. We will not fear. Now, do you see it? God is our refuge. God is our reinforcement. And God is our reassurance. We do not need to fear. And very quickly, look at, he says, though, and three great tragedies that occur, could occur, natural tragedies. Though the earth should change. Look at the first one. Though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea. All Californians, beware. All these guys that wear big hats and big boots and nice buckles. It'll slip right into the sea. <laughs> By the way, I got interested in buckles. I checked mine out. It's uh, Sears and Roebuck. <laughs> Pure tin is what it is. I looked on the backside. It says made in Taiwan. I don't know what's going on here. But that's all right. But even though California slips into the sea, I will not fear. Look at next what he says. Another great tragedy that could happen. Verse 3, though its waters roar and foam. Spent three years in the Navy. And I can assure you, there is power in that sea. I was in a destroyer, and that thing bounces around. I can't believe I can see some Navy people out there shaking their heads. Brother, you got it. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm a junior officer. I get aboard, and they assign me to a, a private stateroom. I couldn't believe it. What is this? Lowly ensign, I get a stateroom all to myself. I soon found out why. It's in the bow of the ship. So you get the pitch and the roll. I mean, this thing's going all over the place. Power in that sea. We had one destroyer tip over so far it took water in the stacks, knocked out the engines. Power. And then it says in verse 3, Though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. How many here have been in an earthquake? We're a little bit, some of you. Oh, man, you know what it's like, don't you? San Salvador, here I am, third floor. We're in prayer. I'd never been in one of these things before. <laughs> I tell you, we're praying, all of a sudden, everything started moving. I mean, it was really moving. And I have to confess, I opened my eyes to see what was going on. <laughs> Arturo was praying. He just kept right on praying. He says, Estamos en las manos de Dios. We're in the hands of God. <laughs> and we were. And then it calmed down. I tell you. What is he saying here? Look at no matter what happens, no fear. Because he's my refuge. He's my reinforcement. He is my reassurance. He's our strength. We rely on him. Now look at the next stanza. Verses 4 through 7. He's our satisfaction. 
He's all we need. We rejoice in him. Did you get that? Our satisfaction, we rejoice in him. Man, I love this place. Because there's, there's life here. You know, you're not a bunch of deadheads. Not rows and rows of dead oysters like some of these places. You are alive. And I thank God for that. And I know why. Because you rejoice in the Lord. Look at what it says. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy dwelling place of the Most High. He's talking about the city of Jerusalem. This is to Jewish people. And there's a river. But there's another river. We heard it today. Fewer in every session. John 7. From his innermost being shall flow rivers of living waters. That's us. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And if we let him have control, there are rivers of living waters for a world that is parched and dry. You think this drought is something physically? What about the drought in the world tonight, spiritually speaking? Where's the water? It's here. It's here. Within us, it flows out. That's the provision of God. Verse 4, the presence of God. Look at his presence. That's where it comes from. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. Again, speaking of the city of Jerusalem, God will help her when morning dawns. His presence. Now again, the Holy Spirit, look at this body of mine for a second. Will you look at this thing all these 13 years I keep pulling over all this stuff. Look at thumb that sticks out. Look at in this little dinky body of mine dwells the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? God. You know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior? God indwells you. That's hard to understand. In fact, I cannot fully comprehend that. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. God. I learned some things down in Central America. I can remember when we were fairly new in Guatemala. I had been reading in the Gospels, and I got real excited about discipling. And I came to the breakfast table, and I said to my wife, Libby, I said, Honey, why don't we do what the Lord did? Why don't we uh, invite 12 guys in here, and we can study together, and pray together, and work together, and travel together in ministry? And she began to blink her eyes, and she said, Could we start with two? <laughs> 12 is a mob, let me tell you. So we prayed for two. And God gave us two. Cesar Montenegro, a guy who had never been to school in a day in his life. No teeth up here in front. He had taught himself to read and write, mind you. Just a real neat guy that I got to know at a short-term Bible institute we had. And I asked him, I said, Cesar, would you like to come and spend the dry season with us? We can pray together, study together, work together. And I liked his answer. He said, could I pray about that? And then he replied later and said, if the invitation's still open, I'd like to do it. The other one, Edwin Martinez. And I had the bright idea, I'm going to disciple these guys. They came, stayed in our home. We traveled, we ministered together. Listen, I have to tell you something. I was never so discipled in my life. <laughs> I have a totally different concept than this discipling. Usually we think of it, here we are going to disciple these people. It's not the way it is. Here's the Lord. He's discipling us. We share with each other. God works through each other. 
so we can grow in him. And it was from Cesar Montenegro, the guy who'd never been to school a day in his life. I learned a great lesson about this truth of the living, working Holy Spirit in my life. Down in those little churches, they may not have a pastor, a full-time pastor, but they always have a loudspeaker system. That's true. That's true. Always a microphone. And there are a lot of those little churches, no electricity. You say, how do they run a microphone? No problem. They have batteries right on the pulpit. A whole box of regular flashlight batteries to power the system. Cesar Montenegro was teaching on the Holy Spirit. And he said, you can hear me fine right now, can't you? And then he wiggled the wires. He says, now you can't hear me so well, right? Got the wires back. He says, now you can hear me again. He said, what was the problem? Lack of power? No, the batteries were here all the time. It's the connection. Ooh, what a lesson. I came to Cesar after I say, say, could I use that illustration sometime? <laughs> He's got it. We must be connected to that power within us. Do you see it? Provision, presence, and then he talks about the power that is within us. Look at verses 6 and 7. The nations made an uproar, the kingdoms tottered. And then God raised his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And all of God's people said, Selah. Oh, you're wonderful. Wonderful. Now, let me get real practical for just a second. How do we get the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, to work through us more? And I want to show you a little idea that I started when I was a missionary. It's my prayer list. I took a hunk of paper, started this actually over in Spain, took a piece of paper, folded it twice, and uh, you'll end up with eight columns. Little mathematical deal. I worked out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight columns. This is my prayer list. And you can use different methods if you want to, but this has really worked for me. Here's a daily list, column number one. Every single day I pray for the same things to start with. Renewed submission. More wisdom. Spiritual growth. Finish well. I'd like to finish my life well. I don't want to wash out. And cleansing of sin. But then I have Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Seven columns left. Some people I pray for once a day. Some requests uh, different people on different days. But why I wanted to pull this out was I pray for a fruit of the Spirit each day. You might like to try this. It has really been beneficial to me. Sunday's my day for love. Monday, joy. Great day for joy. Monday. Tuesday is peace. Wednesday's my hardest day, patience. My wife gave me this little card to remind me how to pray for that. It says, Lord, give me patience and give it to me right now. That's my Wednesday prayer. Thursday, kindness and goodness. Friday, faithfulness. Saturday, humility and self-control. I only pull that out to say, you know, that's one practical way we might be able to let the Holy Spirit demonstrate in a greater way his fruit. Friends, it's not the gift of the Spirit that measures spirituality. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Final stanza. God is our strength. Verses 1, 2, 3. We rely on him. He is our satisfaction. We rejoice in him. Verses 4 through 7. And now the last stanza. He is our sufficiency. He's all we need. He's our sufficiency. We rest in him. Look at this last stanza very quickly. You'll see that he's a righteous judge. Verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. And he can do that. He has done that. He may do that again. 
In fact, I think this is very much prophetic. I think he's speaking of the desolation of desolations, when the abomination of desolation, the man of sin will take control, tribulation's coming, it'll be devastating. But it doesn't stop there. If you think prophetically, he's not only a righteous judge, he's also a redeeming savior. And the king of kings comes in verse nine. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, cuts the spear in two, he burns the chariots with fire. He is the only one that can bring true peace. And then it concludes about the reigning king. And here is the application. Cease striving. Don't try to do it yourself. You can't do it. Know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then he repeats what he put at the conclusion of the previous stanza, verse 7, repeated word for word in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And all of God's people said, I tell you, brethren, what a God we have. It was uh, the last practice session of the New York Philharmonic Orchestra. They had a guest conductor, little Toscanini, one of the finest conductors in the world, and with one of the best orchestras in the world. And they were playing one of the best pieces of music ever written on the face of this earth, Beethoven's Fifth. Practice session is what it was. And, of course, everyone in the orchestra was excited about what Toscanini was doing with them to bring them together. This was their final practice session. They went straight through the manuscript. Toscanini drew out of that orchestra everything that was possible to make Beethoven's fifth live. When he cut off the last note, there was dead silence for just a few seconds. And then the musicians could not stay in their seats. They began to jump up and applaud and whistle and shout. They knew they had played Beethoven's Fifth, the best it had ever been played. And they made such a ruckus and such a noise. And little old Toscanini was there behind his podium beating with his baton, trying to get him to calm down. Finally, he got his voice up above the mass of the orchestra. He said, it's not me, it's Beethoven. It's not us. It's God. Lord, we bow before you. We thank you for your greatness, your goodness your glory and to think that you would choose us to serve you we stand amazed God use us use us like you've never used us before in the penetration of the world of darkness around us fill us oh God with your power and accomplish your purpose for your glory in Christ's name Amen.
You've been listening to the Today in the Word radio podcast and one of a five-part series of messages Ron Blue presented at Moody Week 1988 on vision, trust, and dependence on God. Ronald Blue was coordinator of the Spanish Doctor of Ministry program and adjunct professor in world missions and intercultural studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Audio copies of this and many other messages from the podcast are available at moodyaudio.com. Today in the Word Radio is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute.